Karen, Keith and Linda here this morning? Okay. reason I say, and they wouldn't want this pointed out at all, there are a number I'm sure that I don't know of, but there are two of our church family, Keith and Linda Marshall, who do a lot for wounded warriors. And uh, I just, I know they're not here this morning, so anytime I have the opportunity to thank them publicly, if I can, I know there are a lot of you who may participate in a wounded warrior program. Thousands of them come back to... Uh, a variety of ways or in a variety of capacities and need a lot of help readjusting back into society. And they do a wonderful job of giving them some fun, just some enjoyment of life. And uh, if you have anybody or know anyone who participates in a Wounded Warrior program, I encourage you to check it out well. But then if you can encourage them or support them, I know they would appreciate that because it is a wonderful ministry and a wonderful opportunity to show the love of Jesus to some of these men and women who come back with a, a whole life-changing series of things that they're now have to going to go through as they come back or return home from war. As different as we all are, and if you were to just simply talk about the diversity in this room this morning, whether it's stylistically in regards to music, whether it's what we do for a living, but if you were to go across this room this morning and have a stand and talk about our lifestyle a little bit or where we're from or our backgrounds, you'd find out that there is a lot of diversity in this room this morning. But as different as we all are, there are a number of things that we have in common. I've got to believe that when you get up this morning, there were a few things that absolutely every single one of us in this room did this morning that was the same as what everyone else did. Think for a moment of what you did when you first woke up this morning. There are a number of things that I'm sure you did that every single one of us in the room did probably safe to say that this morning before you came here and sat in one of these pews to sing our songs, every single one of us did the same thing and the same one thing. Know what it was? Got dressed. Thank God for that. Yes. Thank you, Lord. They all did that. But before you did that, you probably took what? A look into the mirror. Every single one of you, when you get up this morning, at some point or the other, Hopefully all of you looked in the mirror, took a look in the mirror to see exactly what you look like. Some of us spend a lot of time looking at ourselves in the mirror. Some of us maybe should spend a little bit more time looking in the mirror. How many of you are raising daughters? Are you not stunned as to the amount of time they spend in the bathroom looking in the mirror? Some of us spend a lot of time in there. For most of us in the room, the experience of looking in the mirror was probably one of the first things you did when you woke up this morning. And for some of us, it may not be a very pleasant sight. In fact, it may be somewhat of a, of a frightening thing when you take that first look in the mirror in the morning. <laughs> when I first look in the mirror on a Monday morning after preaching all day Sunday and teaching on Sunday night and being involved in a variety of things, I don't look too good. Okay, now, you may not look any better. Ask your spouse that's sitting beside you, do I really look that bad? For some of you, when you get up in the morning, it's a scary sight, depending on how your night went. Some of you don't sleep well, or maybe you haven't been sleeping well, or maybe you had a really tough week. But when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, it could be a pretty scary sight. Your eyes are puffy. Your hair, if you still have some, is all out of place. Your teeth feel scummy. Your breath could kill a small animal. 
I mean, seriously, how many wake up in the morning going, morning, morning? I mean, some of our breaths could kill a small animal. It's just not a pleasant sight. When we get up in the mirror, up in the morning and look into that mirror. So what do we do? We don't stay that way. You don't go out that way. Hopefully, none of you went out that way this morning. We're never going to have a pajama Sunday, just so you know. I know one church that did that. I said, brother, we will never in the history of CAC do that. But you all probably at some point or the other did a lot of the same things. You took a shower. You shaved if that's what you normally do. You washed your hair if you still have some. You put on all your makeup. You, you brushed your teeth. You took a shower. You, you fixed yourself up. And then you put on clothes and you, you hope they match. You make sure that what you're wearing is consistent with who you are or the way you want to dress on a, on a particular day. And then some of you, I don't know if you still do this anymore or if anybody still does this anymore, some of us do the seasonal thing. You know, no white after Labor Day. We don't still do that anymore, do we? No, thank you, because I'll probably still wear white after Labor Day. Sometimes we make sure that everything is okay and, and we want to make sure that the mirror tells us whether or not our clothes are fitting, whether they're too loose or too tight, although... <laughs> When I see some go out on the morning, you wonder, did they look? Or did they stop? Don't, seriously, don't you just want to say every once in a while, pull your pants up? <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I know there's a song, Pants on the Ground. I know that. I know. You know, all that stuff. But every once in a while, I just walk up to a kid and say, pull your pants up. You know, or turn your hat on straight. Now, I get it. That's style, and that's an expression, and all that kind of stuff, and that's a whole other sermon, so I'll just leave it go. But on a practical level, the mirror will usually tell you that if what you're wearing is consistent with who you are. So if you're a mechanic, when you get up in the morning on a regular day when you're about to go out to work, you probably don't wear a shirt and a tie, right, if you're a mechanic. And if you're an executive, you don't go out in the morning on your way to work to the office wearing a blue shirt that has Ralph's Body Shop on one side and George on the other. Right? You wear what's consistent with who you are. If you're a nurse and you're going to work or you're on your way to work, you put on what? Scrubs or a uniform of some kind. If you're a, a police officer, what do you do? You put on your uniform. That's what I am. This is what I do for a living. So the outfit that I have on right now is consistent with what I do. And sometimes who I am. Many will define themselves by what they're wearing. When you ask them about it, what do you do or who are you, they'll say, I'm a police officer. They'll say, I'm a nurse or a doctor. And most people, when you go out in the morning and look in the mirror, wherever that may be, you make sure that what you're wearing is consistent with what you do for a living. And so you make sure all that stuff is on. If you're a police officer, I hope you put your Kevlar vest on underneath your uh, uniform so that you can be protected. At some point or the other, we all do the same thing. Now, everybody approaches that process a little bit different. Some approach it pretty militaristic. In other words, everything is set. All the clothes are laid out the night before. Everything has a rhyme and a reason. My mother still lays out all of my father's clothes. Still to this day, they're in their 80s, been married over 50 years, and she still lays them out the night before so that all he has to do is just put them on. She wants to worry about whether or not they match because he certainly won't. Some of us do the same thing on Saturday night. I, I'm that way in that sense. On Saturday night, I've already picked out what I want to wear on Sunday morning, I asked my wife, does this match? Now, to be honest with you, I don't know what color this shows up anymore on the screen. 
pink or whatever they seem to be. I want to make sure that it matches. I want to make sure that it's consistent and looks good. Now, there's other people who approach it with pretty much artistic flair. They want to express themselves when, when they dress. Went to a Word, W-O-R-D luncheon a couple of weeks ago for pastor appreciation. They have for senior pastors down at Heinz Field. It's a great event. They do a phenomenal job. We're looking around. Eric and I are sitting together, and we're watching all these pastors walk in. And it's, a, it's just fun <laughs> watching pastors because they're really different. I mean, you never know. When I started ministry, you could tell a pastor by his polyester suit. You would go wherever it was. You go, oh, there's another pastor. He's got a polyester suit on. I swore I'd never wear polyester. Probably did. And we also wore leisure suits. Any of you still have one of those? Some in ramp. But we were walking around, and all of a sudden, I saw this guy come across. He had, I had to write it down. He had bright blue pants, a yellow shirt, orange tie, and a white belt. Exactly. Uh, dude, did you look at yourself this morning when you walked out? And I realized as I sat near him that this was a guy who just loved to express himself. And he expressed himself many times by what he wore. And every once in a while, you've got those people in life. How many of you remember Happy Days? Do, really? Seriously? TV Land, Happy Day? The one thing that I loved about Fonz, Fonz, every time he went in the mirror, got out his comb, right, and went, hey. He was good. Didn't have to make any adjustments, didn't have to make any changes. He was very comfortable with how he looked. Walked away unchanged. Some of us like the mirror process. Some hate it. However we respond to it, it's one of those experiences in life that we all have in common. James takes that common experience and makes an incredibly powerful statement in James chapter 1. You're there this morning, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. Morning and next Sunday morning, we're going to finish chapter 1. I know you're all saying to yourself, James didn't take this long to write it, for heaven's sakes, as you've taken to go through it. But there's so many pieces. A lot of the rest of the few chapters come in large segments. But James is just powerful in this first chapter. There's 22 where we've been for a couple of weeks. He talks about not just simply being a hearer of the word, but a doer. Do not merely listen to the word, so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. We said that last week is one of the qualifiers of being a follower of Jesus Christ, that I don't just know the word, but I obey the word. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in all he does. James begins talking to us about a very common theme, something that we all do, taking a look in the mirror to see what I need to do, see how I need to adjust myself. He begins by saying something we all do. We look in the mirror and then we walk away. We all do that. No one stays there all day long, right? Except for teenage daughter. We all do that. We get it. We do what we need to do, make the adjustments that are necessary, and then we walk away. But look at what he says. He goes away and forgets what he looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but I looked at that at first glance, and I pray. he looks at himself, walks away, and then forgets what he looks like. And I'm thinking, how do you do that? I mean, you look at yourself, hey, Dan, how you doing? And you walk away, who was that? Nobody does that. Walks away and forgets what he sees. Sadly, there are a lot of people who do that. 
Sometimes regardless of what they see in the mirror, there's a lot of people who don't seem to believe or trust in what they saw. Think with me for a moment. 16 or or an 18-year-old girl, 105 pounds, because up in the morning, looks in that mirror, knows exactly what she sees, but then somehow walks away and thinks she's what? Fat. How do you look at yourself in the mirror? How do you see exactly what you look like and exactly who you are and walk away and forget what you have seen? There are a lot of people that do that. That look and see themselves one way and know exactly what they see in the mirror, but somehow walk away like many gals in that particular context because a lot of, for a lot of reasons, what we do in our society that I'll speak to in a moment, but for a lot of reasons, walk away and forget the image they've seen. And somehow have this misconception, regardless of what they just saw in that mirror, that they're not what they just saw. Somehow at a at 102 or 105 pounds, they're fat. And you say, how can you see that? How do you see what you see and still believe the wrong thing except to say that there are a lot of other mirrors in life that people look at to get very distorted images and pictures? And somehow, sadly, they end up believing the wrong message. Any of you remember the carnival days when we walked into the carnival and they had all these different kinds of mirrors? We've got a couple of them around this morning that we ordered. And you look at it, and this one here, I'm, I'm pencil thin, and I walk over to this one here, and I'm, I think, short and fat. Yeah, short and fat. Y'all remember those from carnivals? And we all got a kick out of going around to see how we looked and see what it would make us look like. Now they have those applications on the iPhone. Have you seen that? My daughter sends me a picture of myself every once in a while. She'll take a picture and then distorts it and all those kind of things and then sends it to me for a laugh. And, and it's exactly the same thing. They'll, those distorted images of what we see. And sometimes when we walk in front of it and know that it's really not who we really are, but sadly we sometimes believe that distorted image as opposed to what we know we've seen in a mirror. Sometimes it feels like we live in the same kind of world, the kind that gives us many distorted images of what's really true. We know what the mirror in the bathroom says about us, but then all of a sudden we see these other images that I see or images that I maybe want to see or want others to see, and then you get confused. Maybe it's because we forgot what we saw in the mirror of the morning or we don't want to honestly be who we really are and so we look for another mirror of some kind or the other to define who we are or to maybe make us feel a little bit better about ourselves as opposed to what we honestly see in the mirror in the morning. Mirrors of our culture that speak to us all the time. There's a lot of different distorted images of the mirrors of our culture that tell us what beauty is. There's another distorted image of our culture that tells us what, valuable, what is valuable or how we value people. The messages about who I am or what I'm worth can get very confusing. It happens all the time. It happens a lot to kids almost every day at school. Some find value in, in athleticism or scholastically, and they feel less valuable if they're not intelligent or athletic, and there's nothing wrong with either of those. If you are athletic, God bless you. If God has blessed you with athleticism, run with it to your fullest potential. If God has blessed you with intelligence, you need to run with that. And you need to continue to grow in that area. You need to develop yourself and read and, and, and strengthen your intelligence. But what I see so often is that we value people based on looks, ability, intelligence, or wealth, as opposed to how God always sees them, 
We see them through our own grid or our own culture, and we make determinations about people. We look at them and put little magic numbers on them and somehow devalue some and elevate others based on what we use as a criteria as opposed to what I know they really are. And so often the world or other people or even us ourselves will develop a criteria about who is valuable and who isn't. Next Sunday morning we're going to start that subject and James will spend half of chapter 2 talking about that very issue of how we value people and how we elevate some and devalue others just based on what we see on the exterior, forgetting what God said hundreds of years ago back in the Old Testament when he said to Samuel, I just need you to know that man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. But there are so many people that walk through life and these distorted images of what they see kind of forget either who they are or maybe it's an image they want to see. And it's not the one that they see in the morning. And so they try to pretend to be somebody else or to be someone else. It can happen not only in school, it can happen at home. We, we have children for an hour or two on a Sunday morning and we remind them how valuable they are. If you go to our children's wing, there's a new tree in there this morning and it has a little mirror, interestingly enough, of all days that had just got installed yesterday, but it says God loves and you open it up and it's a picture of the child because they see themselves and obviously God loves you. And so we'll have them for an hour or two on Sunday morning or on Thursday night or on Wednesday night. All of our ministries on Sunday night, all of our ministries are doing a phenomenal job at working with kids all across this community. I see kids that I know are, not, are connected to another church, but they love what Brent's doing on Wednesday night or Coza's doing on Thursday night or Billy's doing on Sunday night or what goes on in our church on Sunday morning, and they just come here by the droves. And they find love and acceptance and people who care about them and people who minister to them and and they, they hear how valuable they are. They hear about the choices they need to make. And, and each of those guys talk to me a little bit about what they do each time. And, and when you hear that stuff and you, you, you want it to sink in so bad, because you know every once in a while one or two or a half a dozen of those kids are going to go home after hearing how valuable they are and how loved they are by God and having a parent call them stupid and useless. And they get this distorted image of, I, I went to church, I found out how valuable I was in God's sight, I find out that I'm precious in His sight, that He really does love me, that I have value based on who I am, not always what I do or how I look. And then every once in a while, one or two of those kids, that's why we so often talk about this really small amount of time we have with them to make such a huge difference. But some of them, maybe only one or two, maybe obviously none of them in, in this room this morning are your children, but... There are kids who come here who go home and hear that distorted image and then other words that are said about them that were so different than what they heard in church on Sunday or Wednesday or Thursday or Sunday night. A parent calls them stupid and useless and, and sadly, some of them believe that stuff. The mirror of God's Word says that I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In Psalm 139, when I look in the mirror of God's Word and Ephesians chapter 2, it says, I am God's handiwork. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody use their hands or do things with, ha with their hands, and, and you're stunned by that. I've seen people create some things and build some things and do some things, and I'm thought, that, those hands are amazing, what they've been able to accomplish. My dad, at 82 years old, runs a 145-acre farm, still has cattle on it, still running it. Anybody, anybody asked him, how do you do this at 82 years old, and how many hired hands do you have? And he holds up these, and he said, these are my two hired hands. 
And I look at what this guy had accomplished and my brother-in-law can accomplish, and I'm thinking, those are amazing things. That you can do that with your hands. And then I read Ephesians chapter 2, and it says, I am God's handiwork. Wow. I know how talented that person is. I know how gifted they are. I'm God's handiwork? That ought to make you feel really good about who you are and how you look and how he's put you together. You may have abused some of that, but his design is handiwork. It is God's handiwork. And when I look at who I am and what the world sometimes says about me or sometimes the lies that I even believe about myself, I struggle with this stuff. And some of the dumb lies I believe about myself. And then I'll go back into the mirror of God's word and I'll see that in Ephesians 2.10. I'm God's handiwork. Creating Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. Deuteronomy 32 is not he your father, your creator, who made you and formed you. Job 10, your hands shaped me and made me. You and I are children of the living God. The carnival mirrors of the world get things distorted, but the mirrors of God's word are the ones to believe. So make very sure that you don't forget what you see in the mirror of God's word when he begins to talk to you about who you are. Which is, I I wonder what's running through the mind of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 when he said, I pray, I keep asking the Lord God of our Father Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that He'll give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you'll know Him better. And then this is what he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you can know the hope that is in you, the riches to His glorious grace that He has called you, His incomparable great power for us who believe. Ephesians 3 says, I get down on my knees before the Father and I ask Him to strengthen you by His Spirit. That Christ will live in you and as you open up the door and invite Him in. And I ask Him to plant both feet firmly in love so that you will be able to be all the follower of Jesus Christ and understand the full extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. That's out of the message. Paul said, I just pray that you'll see clearly. I pray that you really understand clearly. I wrestle with this constantly. And maybe some of you do too. And then every once in a while, I'll get into the mirror of God's word and I'll listen to one of Paul's prayers and I'll pray it over myself or ask God to do what he's asking Paul or what Paul's asking to do that I'll be able to see clearly who I am and how he's made me. And look in that. Know there's some adjustments and things I need to do and all that goes with that. Be okay essentially with how he's wired me and how he's gifted me and how he's made me. Do I want to grow and mature in all those things? Absolutely. Still, it starts with a beginning point of being satisfied with the fact that I know God loves me enough to create me the way he did and put in me all the gifts that he wants to. The mirror of God's word not only reminds me of who I am, it tells me what I'm wearing, and it tells me that if what I'm wearing is either consistent or inconsistent with who I am. You take some time this afternoon, and I'll talk about that at the end, because <clears throat> I really hope <laughs> you're way into the Word more than this few minutes on Sunday morning. But if you take the time this afternoon, you can do it on your own, you can do it in an index, there's so many computer programs, but look up the words put on and put off. It's a fascinating study in Scripture. Look up the words put on and put off, and, and Paul talks about what we ought to put on and what we ought to take off. Every time I do a wedding ceremony, I know as they come down the aisle and this tucks in this gown they're not going to wear that for the rest of their lives they're going to change clothes and you want them so bad to understand this whole concept of now that they're a 
uh, followers of Christ and, and, and entwined in this relationship, what genuinely to put on and put off, what to take off and what to put on. Paul does some great work in that. He said, I want you to put off the old self, take off that old garment, stuff that doesn't belong to you, things that now that you're a new creature in Christ, you ought not to be wearing any longer. Put off lies, put off selfish ambition, put off moral filth, put off the tongue issues and the things that destroy with the tongue. He said, clothe yourself or put on compassion. Put on kindness, put on humility, put on gentleness, put on patience, put on forgiveness. I don't know about you, but those are great clothes to put on. But now that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I'm going to wear the clothes that I know he wants me to be when I look in the mirror of God's word, I want to make sure that I'm a person that clothes myself and puts on compassion. That really, genuinely, honestly does care about people. We'll talk more next week. I want to put on kindness. I'll be known, but not by my harsh speech or my ignoring people, but I'll be known because I see people and I value people. And they'll, they'll notice me as, as somebody who is gentle, not harsh or nasty, but is gentle, who really does have patience, who not only understands forgiveness, but offers forgiveness, who is a person of grace. Mirror of God's Word tells me what I need to clothe myself with, and the mirror of God's Word tells me what I ought not to wear. It reveals who I am and what I'm wearing, and sometimes it honestly tells me that I need to change clothes. Not because this doesn't look good, but I need to recognize all the other things that I yet haven't taken off and the things that I need to put on. So I look in the mirror of God's Word, and He tells me very clearly, you need to take that off, you need to put this on. Because gentleness doesn't show real well. Kindness just isn't things that sometimes people associate with when they think of you. Sometimes in the morning we see what we need to do and life gets crazy. The kids clogged up the toilet, chasing the cat around the house. You, you, you're trying to get ready for work. You're trying to get ready to go out and you hear screaming, <coughs> screaming all over the house. He stole my homework. The dog ate this. Somebody did that. You can't believe this. And all of a sudden you're running around trying to get everybody out, especially if you have a mom and a dad who both work in different directions. I don't know how you do it sometimes, to be honest with you, in the morning. You go in so many different directions. You know what you need to change. You know what you need to do. And then all of a sudden, life gets caught up. Things get so busy, and you run out. Now, you don't go to work with the same thing. If you go to work like that, matter of fact, when I showed that picture of me to Chuck, they ran it through a database and found out that I'm wanted in Wyoming. <laughs> on, <clears throat> on the, you know, none of you, at least that's what he told me, none of you, go out like that but sometimes there are some adjustments we know we need to make and we hurry up because life is so fast and we run out and all of a sudden we are halfway through the day and realize there's some adjustments we needed to make we can do it spiritually a couple of weeks ago i was talking about what happens sometimes at the end of the service when you know god's speaking to you and you know there's some things that he wants you to do and sometimes we have a song that ends that way and sometimes we don't you know god's speaking to you and so you get up and then Somebody said, hey, where are you going for lunch? Or what are you going to do afterwards? You're going to see the Steeler game? You're going to go here tonight? Coming back this evening to hear Ted? You, 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 where are you going to see, or this week? You guys going on vacation, I heard. Hey, where's the car? Don't forget to go get the kids. And please don't forget to go get your kids. But all of a sudden, all of those things are clamoring in on us. And we heard the word of God speak. I looked into the mirror of God's word. I knew what it said I needed to do. And things got crazy, and I rushed out. Verse in Psalms that's requoted in the New Testament in Corinthians, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, 
respond. Don't harden your heart today if you hear his voice. Sometimes we honestly don't look long enough in the mirror to know what the truth is and what we need to do. Look at verse 23 and 24. Anyone who looks into the word but doesn't do what it said is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, looks in the first verse there in 23 and 24 is the same one in the Greek word. After looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. That word look means to glance. You get up in the morning, yep, okay, we're okay. And you walk out. But look at verse 25. But whoever looks intently, totally different word. Seems as it's translated the word look. But he's using the ones to, one to mean glance or, or just to look at it real quickly. And the other one means to gaze. To look in the mirror intently means to gaze. That I'm not just taking a quick glance and walking away, but I recognize the things that I need to do. I'm not just glancing and walking off, remaining unchanged, but I'm taking a long, hard look at some of the things that I need to do and I'm making the adjustments. It means you look long enough to know what it says or what you need to change and you really are willing to do that. Sometimes we need to take a real long look at ourselves, a real hard look in the mirror and, and know that it's going to tell us exactly what we need to do and so we make the necessary adjustments. Sometimes we glance too quick. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, don't commit murder. So if I look in the Word and it said, don't commit murder, and I look at myself real quick, that's me, I don't. Never have, never thought of it. He said, wait, whoa, take, take a longer look. Because to be honest with you, I'm going to tell you, even if you're angry, now he's taking a whole lot longer look than just simply whether or not I've committed murder. I'm telling you, if you're angry at your brother, you'll be subject to judgment. Whoever says to him, Raka, which is answerable in court, or you fool. It's not just a <coughs> word that you've used. It's the intention behind it when Matthew writes that. That I am so angry and I hate you so much that I, that I want you to be condemned. I want something bad to happen to you. Now when I take some time to look into the Word of God, I see that I need to look a little bit longer. He goes on. Not only do you, if you heard it said, I don't want you to commit murder, I don't want you to commit adultery. And so we look quick and say, nope, haven't done that one either. And they said, well, wait a minute, back up. Take a longer look. As I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's just one example of hundreds in Scripture where if I take the time to look intently as opposed to glancing, I recognize maybe there's some things I need to do and some adjustments I need to make. I also need to remind you, please don't let the carnival mirrors of life give us a distorted image of what's right and what's wrong, of what's true and what isn't, of what's helpful and what's hurtful. But take an honest, honest look at the Word of God and to see what it says about who I am, how valuable I am in His sight, that I really am a precious gift. I am God's handiwork. There's some things I need to take off and some things I need to put on. These clothes that I'm wearing, not just simply this stuff that you see on the outside, but who I really am, it's consistent so that when people want to know whether or not I'm a believer in Christ, they can watch me enough and they'll know. So you need to take a long look. Sometimes you can do it on your own. Sometimes you need a lot of help. Hopefully you're connected with some people in your small group, your Sunday school class. Small group is one of the best environments to develop some relationships with some people that you trust. 
that after a period of time when you've developed that trust can honestly walk into your life or you can walk into their life or you can honestly ask the question, how do I look? And it has nothing to do with the clothes you happen to have on. But we've been doing life together for the last year or two and is what you see and is what you're seeing or what you know about me consistent with who I am? That is one of the absolute best places to find that place where I can feel safe enough to take a pretty long look. A lot of people do do it on their own. A lot of people find that that's the absolute best context in which to find somebody that you trust, who, who, who you're willing to be with and, and be vulnerable with, to say, hey, take a look at what I'm wearing. Is it, is it consistent with who I am or what I say I am? Now, obviously, to do that, you've got to be in a word. You've got to be in the Word a lot. A lot of people, my daughter does this a lot. I've done it on my computer. A lot of people do that, put verses on their mirror. I mean, literally do that. So they'll put a verse about themselves on a mirror in the morning, and that will be a reminder or a reminder of who I am in God's sight or what I need to do today or put on love and compassion and grace and tenderness or whatever translation you may use. But that will be a, a reminder as I get dressed in the morning and I put on the right clothes. I want to also remember what I'm to put on in Christ. Please. Please don't just glance in the mirror of God's word only on Sunday morning. If indeed that's the only look you take in this half hour on Sunday morning, you're really in trouble. Which is why we encourage you to be involved in a, in a Sunday school class or a small group or a Bible study with some people that can really help you dig into the Word and develop an understanding of what the Word is teaching me so that when I look in it and I know the things I need to put on and things I need to take off, I have a real clear understanding of what that means. So the challenge to you and me both this morning, out of what James is saying here in this unbelievably powerful section of Scripture which 2,000 years ago has just as much relevance today as when it's written. I want to take a real good look. I want to make sure that when I look into the mirror and I look at myself and I see what it is the Word of God tells me I need to be, to take a good look. Take a real good look. Some of you may need to walk out of here in courage because you are God's handiwork. And don't let anybody tell you that you're not. That you are handcrafted by God. You are loved and adored. That God loves you like crazy. Even while you were yet sinning, He died on the cross on your behalf. And sometimes I need to just take a real long look in the mirror of the Word of God and, and feel really good about who I am now and where I'm at because I used to be one of those other people. And now when I look into the mirror of God's word, I'm just delighted with the things he's revealing about who I am. Others of us may need to take a real long look and find out some things we need to change. Or maybe some things we just need to believe because we've looked at the wrong mirrors. And they didn't give us a good, honest picture of who I was. Take a real good look. You'll find out a lot about who you are how valuable you are, what, yes, maybe you need to change, what I certainly need to change, and what he wants me to do. Take a real good look. Father, your word is amazing. I'd have never believed when I looked at that before. I've seen it a hundred times. That James would have even had a bathroom mirror to look at. Then when I really understand the context and I, I read it clearly, 
unbelievably powerful truth that comes shining out of this. And so, Father, I just do pray in the name of Jesus that for these next few moments that your Spirit will speak to us. We've got to spend a lot more time in your Word than these few minutes here on Sunday morning or just even now. But I pray that you'll challenge us and encourage us over the next days and weeks and months and years to spend a lot of time in your Word, to get connected with people way beyond our slip-in, slip-out Sunday morning experience. And to find out what really you want us to see. What we need to know. And what we need to change. Spirit of the living God, speak very clearly and loudly this morning. So that we will know that we've been people who did take a good look. And saw what we needed to see. Did what we needed to do. In light of what we saw. In the name of Jesus I pray. God bless you.